If you were here with us last Sunday, then uh, you know that we are in the middle of a, our fall worship series that we started last Sunday uh, on relationships. And uh, we're calling this series uh, How to Ruin Relationships, but more importantly, How to Restore Them God's Way. And basically what we're doing in this series is kind of looking at the different, different issues, sin issues, if you will, that can threaten to ruin uh, our relationships in life, whether that's marriage relationship, family relationships, co-workers, neighbors, friends in general, whatever the case might be, and what God has to say about those issues and how to uh, deal with them God's way, how to restore then the relationships that have been ruined by those issues. And so today, we want to continue in that series, and, uh, and so for our scripture reading, Jeremy's going to come and lead us as we prepare for our next topic this morning on anger. And so I want to invite you to reach for your Bibles and uh, turn with Jeremy as he comes to the pulpit to lead us in our scripture reading to James. In fact, it's coming up on the screen there. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. You can use one of the pew Bibles that's right there in front of you, the black pew Bibles and the page numbers up on the screen, and you can follow along. In honor of God's word, why don't you stand with us together as Jeremy comes to lead us. Bruce said we'll be reading out of James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive the meekness and implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now, we want to just, first of all, praise you for your great mercy, and as the, our worship demonstrated for us, that uh, we are not worthy, and you have made it abundantly clear that you have loved us first, and so we must, in turn, love you back, God. Um, I pray that you give Bruce the words to speak, and uh, that you would be able to speak through him. pray this in your name. Amen. Last Sunday in this series, we looked at the, uh, the issue of pride, and uh, we kind of saw what God has to say about pride from, uh, from Peter, the Apostle Peter, when he wrote the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, he quotes an Old Testament passage. In fact, the same verse is quoted in James, too, and, uh, and we saw that God says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we learned that pride basically kills relationships. But we also learned that humility opens the door for God's grace to begin to restore relationships. And this morning, as we already said, as we continue in the series, we want to look at another issue, and that is an issue that ruins relationships is anger. Now, let me ask you just what, you know, when you think of anger, what comes to your mind? And uh, just kind of picture it right now, get an image of anger, whether that's a person, a thing, maybe yourself, whatever the case may be. I have to admit, when I think of anger, what comes to my mind is, I, I go back to my childhood days of the Incredible Hulk. That's what comes to my mind. And in fact, you'll see a picture here. The original Hulk, by the way. Yes, yeah, some of you are old enough to remember the TV show, The Incredible Hulk, in the late 70s. Bill Bixby played this David Banner character, and at some point in the show, he would always say, 
Some of you may remember it. It was the most famous quote in the whole TV series. He said it every show. Don't make me angry. You won't like me if I'm angry. And then his eyes would turn green. His body would begin to turn green. His buttons would pop off. His shirt would shred and come off his body, leaving him bare-chested and just in a rage. And you know the story. He would then, before you know it, this everyday-looking guy would turn into this incredible Hulk creature who destroyed everything and everyone in its path. Don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. Now, if we're honest, that's, that's rather true for all of us here this morning when we get angry. Because here's the reality of it. There's really kind of two people inside of us, one that's nice and sweet and normal, but all of a sudden you touch a button, you say the wrong thing, you hit that trigger, and the hulkish side of us comes out, for a lot of us that is. Anger is a fact of life. And everyone here this morning, we all experience this emotion from time to time. But when we use anger to get what we want, it destroys relationships. It has the capacity to ruin them. And so if you want to ruin relationships, just use anger to get what you want. If you want to restore relationships, though, that have been ruined by anger, then we need to put it away. Put the anger away that's lurking in our hearts. I think you would agree with me that America today is one angry place. So it's no surprise that Judith Parker Harris has dubbed us the United States of Anger. Rage is all the rage. Sociologists have now documented road rage, air rage, biker rage, trucker rage, parking rage, work rage, cell phone rage, computer rage, pedestrian rage, jogger rage, shopping rage, go-kart, I'm go-kart rage, there probably is that too, grocery cart rage, and checkout line rage. Perhaps you've experienced or seen some of that before. I'm also told there's even such a thing as pew rage. Although I have yet to see that in our church here. I hope to never see that. Anger is as old as sin itself. It's certainly as old as Cain when he killed his brother in a fit of rage and anger. But what's interesting about anger itself is that anthropologists have actually discovered that anger is, quote, pan-human. All that word means is that anger is experienced in all cultures, in all ages, throughout all the world. This means no one is immune from the emotion of anger. It affects everyone. And if it's uncontrolled, it can ruin most of our treasured relationships. Studies actually show that the average man loses his temper six times a week. The average woman loses her temper how many times a week, you think? More or less? Yeah, all right. Some, uh, the, the moms over here, you know, kids. L actually less, three times a week. Women tend to get angry more often at people, while men tend to get angry more often at things. Men are more physical with their anger than women and are more likely to express anger at home than anywhere else. Anger, listen to this, is the most frequent and intense toward those we love. So there's no doubt that anger, uncontrolled anger, can ruin relationships. It can destroy marriages. 
It can separate families. It can poison all our other relationships in general. And that's why James now exhorts us to put away the anger in our hearts. Look what he writes again. I want you to see this again. Jeremy read it for us. I want, he read it for us out of the New King James Version. I want you to see it out of the English Standard Version, which is in your notes. You may have that Bible in your hands as well. Look what he says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And now he tells us why. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And now he tells us what to do. Therefore, put away all filthiness, which includes anger, in rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which includes the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, which is able to save your souls. I would even add, which is able to save your relationships with God and with man. It's able to restore relationships. It's the key. So what I want us to do this morning for a few minutes here is to look at this passage of Scripture, these three verses, and what James has to say about putting away the anger in our hearts, the anger that threatens to ruin relationships. If we don't deal with it, God's way. So let's look at the command. The command that James gives us is simple. It's a command that we're all familiar with. We've heard before, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. The book of James, let me give you just a brief overview, is about real faith in a real world. I love the book of James for that reason. It's the, it's the kind of faith that is matched by our behavior. James wants those who claim to know Christ. In other words, if you're here this morning and you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. James wants us then to know, he wants us who claim to know Christ, that our faith is real, it should be real. And he specifically wants it to show up in our relationships with one another. That's why this command in verse 19 doesn't make any sense if you're living on a deserted island all by yourself. The command here in verse 19, it assumes a, a relationship context, which is a pretty safe assumption since none of us here are living on a deserted island. As we saw last Sunday, all of us have relationships. There isn't any of us here that doesn't live in some context of relationships. And so immediately this is applicable, this is, this is real, this is practical for all of us. So what's the command? James says very simply, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, which is just another way of saying there needs to be more listening on our part, less talking, and a whole lot less anger in our lives. And did you notice who James is speaking to? He's speaking to those, as we already kind of highlighted here, to those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. We know that because he uses the word brethren or brothers, which is just a term to describe Christians, the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's telling us something. He's saying we should take note of something, pay heed to this when he says, know this. In other words, our faith in Jesus Christ should affect, it should impact how we listen, 
It should impact, it should affect how we, how we speak and also how we handle our anger. Now, defining anger is a bit like defining love. You ever tried to define love to your kids? Yeah. It's easier to experience it than it is to explain it. We usually experience anger as a a sudden, impulsive, outward anger, or some of you here may experience anger as a deep-seated, slow-burning, internal anger. In fact, Stuart Scott, in his booklet, Anger, Anxiety, and Fear, describes these two particular kinds of anger. Take a look at it just for a moment here in your notes. The first kind of anger is external anger. It's the kind of anger that blows up in rage. Kind of like the Incredible Hulk. That's Incredible Hulk type of anger. What makes external anger so incredibly dangerous is that it flares suddenly, powerfully, and irrationally. You could describe it as it's powder keg anger, and it's explosive. And anyone in its path is usually taken by surprise. And they are left harmed. It's like throwing a bomb in the living room while your family is sitting there watching TV and then watch it explode. This kind of anger explodes, and perhaps you know what I'm talking about. Perhaps you've been the one that explodes, or maybe you've been on the receiving end of it. Explodes with yelling and screaming, slamming things around, cursing, telling someone off, attacking verbally, such as name-calling. It may even express itself in attacking physically with hitting. The American Psychology Association asked in an article, is it good to just let it all hang out? They asked this question in light of the old notion that it's important to kind of lance the boil of anger and let it all out. Here's what they had to say. You might be surprised to know what they said. Psychologists now say that this is a dangerous myth. Some people use this theory as a license to hurt others. But research has found that letting it rip with anger actually escalates anger and aggression and does nothing to help you or the person you're angry with resolve the situation. So that's the first type of anger. It's external. It blows up with rage. But there's a second type of anger, one that's, that's internal, and it clams up in resentment. This internal anger also, is also known as passive-aggressive anger. It shows itself in being frustrated, being irritated, being disgusted, glaring at the one you're angry with without really saying a whole lot, but your eyes speak volumes. This kind of crock-pot anger, it simmers and it boils in resentment for a long, long time. Some people may be in complete denial about their stewing, but denied anger is like poison. As one author writes, when willpower hinders rage, anger smolders beneath the surface, and the teeth of the soul grind with frustration. It can come out in tears that look more like hurt. But the heart has learned that this may be the only way to hurt back. It may come out of silence because we have resolved not to fight. It may show up in picky criticism and relentless correction. It may strike out at persons that have nothing to do with its origin. In other words, internal anger turns deadly when it lingers and morphs into malice and hatred and bitterness and resentment. And when we nurse grudges and bide our time, 
thinking about the opportunity to get revenge. However, anger is not the only problem here. The Bible, what's interesting, I don't know if you caught this or not, but the Bible links our anger with something else about us, something else that we have a problem with, and that's our communication. It connects how we talk and how we listen to the issues of our anger. So why, why does James specifically here, Paul does it elsewhere, as we're going to see in a minute, but why does James here in this one little verse, why does he link anger in our communication together? Because he knows that an uncontrolled anger almost always leads to uncontrolled speech. Think about it with me. Most of our sinful communication, what Paul identifies as unwholesome talk or corrupt communication, which is just another word that means rotten communication, most of that kind of communication springs from a heart that is angry. How often do we find ourselves regretting words spoken in the heat of the moment? This is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 30, listen to what he says. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk, rotten talk, corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then Paul links our unwholesome talk with our anger when he then tells us in the very next verse, verse 31, get rid of. Same thing James says, put away. And he says, get rid of, put away all bitterness, all rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Here's a list of some additional sins that are rooted in anger. In fact, this list comes from a book by Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. And he, he lists some of these sins, like frustration, being angry at whatever or whomever is blocking or hindering our plans, or resentment, internalizing anger by holding on to previous wounds and dwelling on mistreatment. He lists bitterness which is a feeling of ongoing animosity because of a real or perceived wrong. Hostility, the outward expression of internal bitterness through denigrating hateful speech or actions, and then strife, open conflict or turmoil between people. What a list. And anger is at the root of them all. And God wants us to see here, in a kind of a big picture way, how devastating anger can be. And James here is now exhorting us, put it away, deal with it God's way. I challenge all of us here, including myself, to, to take this anger test. It's in your notes. Come up on the screen. You say, what's an anger test? It's a simple test. You ask a question of yourself, or better yet, ask a friend or family member how your anger sinfully manifests itself in life and relationships. Now, if you ask a friend or family member, give them the okay to be honest, and then sit back and be blown away. You may be surprised at what you hear. Does your anger, as you think through this question, even right now, does your anger 
manifests itself in external anger that blows up in a rage, or are you more one that it's internal anger that clams up in resentment? Does it manifest itself in frustration, bitterness, hostility, or strife? Does your anger morph into yelling and screaming, ranting and raving, arguing, acts of fury, and even violence? Or does your anger morph into the passive-aggressive behavior, such as biting sarcasm, cynicism, criticism, harsh tones of voice, withdrawal and sulking, grumbling and complaining? Listen, these are questions that really only you can answer before God. I challenge us to do that this morning. You know, the Bible has a number of warnings about anger. Do you realize that? All you got to do is go over to the book of Proverbs, and there are several of them. In fact, let me, I listed some of them in your notes there. Look at what Proverbs has to say here. Proverbs 14, 17 says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.18, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16.32, Better to be slow to anger than to be a mighty warrior, and one who controls his temper is better than one who captures a city. Proverbs 29.22, An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. I hope you're seeing how uncontrolled anger ruins relationships, especially those relationships that matter most to us. I also understand that this is probably not new information to a lot of you here this morning. No one is probably going to leave here saying, wow, I just had no idea that anger was so destructive. Wow, what a novel thing I just learned here. I don't think that's going to be the case for a lot of us here. And yet, our struggle with anger is not because we don't know it's bad. It's not because we don't know that it threatens to ruin our relationships. And so we get it when James tells us here, hey, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to anger. We understand that. We get that. But James also gives us a heart-based, God-centered reason why. Why anger is bad. Why, if it's uncontrolled, it's so destructive to our relationships and even to our lives. Look at the reason here. It's because my anger, it doesn't produce behavior that is pleasing to God. That's the core reason why. This is the idea when James writes now in verse 20 of chapter 1, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, we need to understand the difference of the word righteousness here that James is using. James is not using the word righteousness in the same way that the Apostle Paul does. In a legal, justified sense, such as in the book of Romans, where in the book of Romans, a righteousness there is, is a righteousness that, that God declares on us through our faith in Jesus Christ. So now we are declared justified. We're declared righteous before God because we are now covered in Christ's righteousness due to our faith in him. It's a legal sense. It's our position before God. We're now righteous. 
That's not the kind of righteousness that James is using. Rather, James is referring to the kind of righteous behavior that is pleasing to God. Our anger, James says, is not effective in producing actions and attitudes that are pleasing to God. And here's why. Notice this in the screen. The heart of anger. Anger is a primary expression of pride in the heart. And it manifests itself when our desires and our demands are hindered. Now, if we're honest, at least if I'm honest with myself, we have to admit our anger is often motivated by self-importance and self-assertion due to pride in our hearts. So much of our anger is what we feel, get this, when my desires and when my demands are being hindered by either circumstances around me, but more importantly, especially by people around me in my life. And so when my desires and my demands are being hindered by my wife or by my kids, especially in a family situation, if, if I'm not under the Holy Spirit's control, then my anger lets loose. Because they, and sometimes circumstances, are hindering what I want, my demands, my desires, which is rooted in pride that we dealt with last Sunday. And so because you're hindering what I feel entitled to, the Hulk comes out for some of us. For other of us, the Hulk rages within. And it simmers and boils in resentment and bitterness. And then in our pride, we try to justify it all. But if your anger is like my anger, it almost always thinks, almost always acts only for myself in my situation, which then leads to all kinds of other sins, other issues that threatens to ruin relationships. Remember, anger doesn't usually exist alone. Anger expresses itself in behavior that is typically sinful. Now, you might be wondering, well, what about this thing I've heard about in the Bible, righteous anger, holy anger, I mean, didn't God get angry? Jesus get angry? What about that? That's a really good question. I'm glad you're thinking about it. What about righteous anger? Well, notice this in your notes on the screen. There is such a thing as righteous anger. Well, let's be honest. Our anger is rarely righteous. Now, the Bible does talk about that anger is not always sin. And not all anger is wrong. Let me just show you this briefly. You read through the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God became angry at the sin and wickedness of his people. Happens all the time. You've heard of the wrath of God, the anger of God. You've seen it demonstrated. But here's what you have to understand about God's anger. It's always holy. It's always righteous because that is the very character and essence of God. In the Gospels, you read about Jesus becoming angry. The most famous time is, is over the misuse of the temple with the money changers, right? Some of you are familiar with that story. He got indignant about that. And now even here in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he tells us in Ephesians 4.26, hey, be angry and do not sin. 
So it's possible. But then he warns us, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? And give no opportunity for the devil. So there is such a thing as righteous anger, which God and Jesus both demonstrate, and it is possible for us as Christ followers to demonstrate. However, let me say that most of the anger in my life, I don't know about you, I'm assuming, is not righteous anger. And I would caution us on being very wary of self-deception in finding ways to justify our sinful anger. Why? Because sinless anger among sinful people is rare indeed. Would you agree with that? And I know my heart. Actually, the Bible tells me I don't because it's so deceitful. So I have to have God search my heart and reveal it to me. With that all said, what does righteous anger involve? Well, here are three characteristics from Robert Jones's book, Uprooting Anger. This is not in your notes. If you want to take notes, you can. Three characteristics of righteous anger. One is a right issue, a right focus, and a right expression. Here's what I mean by that. Right issue. Righteous anger responds to real and actual sin. Righteous anger does not result from being inconvenienced or from violations of personal preference or human tradition. It responds to sin as objectively defined by God's word. That's a right issue. We're angry over the right things. Number two, it has a right focus. That is, righteous anger focuses on God and his kingdom, not me and my kingdom, my desires, my demands that are not being met. This kind of anger is moved because of a God-centered concern, not a self-centered concern. And then number three, a right expression. Righteous anger remains in control. It is not all-consuming, explosive, or self-despairing. It doesn't withdraw from or ignore people. It seeks justice. It rebukes transgressors. It confronts evil. It calls for repentance. So there is such a thing as righteous anger. But again, let's just be honest here. We're far more familiar with what kind of anger, though? The unrighteous anger, sinful anger. And where does the sinful anger come from? A heart that's full of pride. And we lose the battle with our anger because of our pride. When our desires, when our demands are hindered, more times than not, we get angry about it. It could be as simple as a dumb lawnmower not starting for you. How many have kicked their lawnmower? See? And that lawnmower not starting has hindering your desires and demands. Now, that's a simple illustration, but it gets a lot complica more complicated and it can be more devastating when it's somebody in our family or a coworker, a boss, a neighbor who is hindering the pride in my heart that I want. You get the idea. Let me give you just one example of this. If I can be, just share with you a little bit. Because this is something we all deal with, we all struggle, myself included. And God's, you know, it's funny how when you're the pastor and you have to prepare messages, how God just, he just works you over before, you know, it's ever shared out here on a Sunday morning. And to be honest with you, that's what God's kind of been doing with me on this message. Because there's times here in the last two years or so where my boys have just, they've, they've got, they know my, they've gotten to me. 
and I've exploded a time or two. And my wife has come to me and said, Bruce, don't you think you've been a little hard? Don't you think? And then she just walks away, and I have to stew on that then. And it's irritating. But there was this one particular time. I'll, I'll share the latest time. <laughs> a few weeks ago. And to be honest with you, I was trying to think, man, what was it that even made me so angry? And I can't even remember. All I know is I came down the garage, Jack was there, and I went off on him. And I just, I boiled over and was screaming and ranting and raving at him. He had done something that he knows better that he shouldn't have done. I know that much. And I, and I just went off on him. And then we, I had to, we both got in the car and I had to take him to football practice. And so we go to football practice to Oak Park High School for, and it's dead silence. I'm stewing inside. He's, he's mad, mad or, you know, because he's just been, you know, he's, you know. All the way to football practice, he gets out, bye. Shuts the door, and I go back home. And if I'm going back home, there in the car by myself, man, God just begins, the Holy Spirit, to convict. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, that was just not right. Not right. And so you do a little, you know, you, you're doing the little tension between you and God, and it's the Spirit, the little struggle. And so you, you break. You confess, you repent before God, and then I knew, I, all right, I, gotta talk, I need to talk to Jack about this. So I pick him up from football practice a couple hours later, and on the way home, we talk about it. And I have to humble myself. I say, Jack, listen, I, I got mad, I got angry, and I blew up at you, and I yelled at you, and I was just wrong. It was just wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. And of course, Jack, he's a sweet kid. Yes, Dad, no problem. And he forgives me. But you know what? you, you got to do it. Because here's the thing. You, if I, as a dad, do that over long enough without asking forgiveness, what do you think is going to happen to the relationship with Jack? It severs it. It ruins it. But what's the restoration process? What brings it together? What reconciles it? God's grace through forgiveness. God's grace in the gospel that allows us to offer forgiveness because we've received the forgiveness of Christ already. You get the idea here? Anger kills relationships if it's not dealt with God's way. So what do you do if you're struggling with anger and it gets the best of you, it gets the best of your relationships. Well, James gives us a prescription here. Look at it. I already talked about it a little bit. The prescription is repent of your anger and then receive God's grace in the gospel. Look again what James writes in verse 21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. That word meekness Folks, it's just another word for humility, which we talked about last Sunday. Pride versus humility. Receive with humility or meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, it's hard not to miss this, but there are two action words in this verse. Did you catch what they are? Two actions. Put away and receive. That's the prescription. 
We are to put away, James says, all filthiness, which includes the anger that James has just written about. And then we are to receive the implanted word, which includes God's grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? And how do we do this in our battle with anger? Well, right there, first of all, you repent. I repent of the sin of anger. And repentance involves turning away from sin. What James calls putting away all filthiness. This means we, first of all, we have to recognize our anger for what it really is. We can't deceive ourselves. I was justified in that response to my kid. He knew better. He broke the rules in our family. He disobeyed. He disrespected. Listen, that doesn't justify anger. Uncontrolled anger, that is. And so we need to recognize our anger for what it is and call it for what it is. Sin. Most of the time when we get angry, it's because of selfish reasons. So we need to stop making excuses. We need to stop justifying it. We need to stop tolerating it and instead just call our anger what it is. It is sin before God. And remember, pride is at the root of our anger. And there are few things better for severing pride, digging pride out of the heart than confessing our anger and confessing our pride as sin. Listen, we will never be free from anger until we learn to confess it as sin before God without excuse or justification. Repentance and confession is the process for putting away, getting rid of all filthiness, which includes the sin of anger. Perhaps you're thinking, well, I hear what you're saying, Bruce, but is putting away anger, is it really that important? Yes! Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. He says, be angry and do not sin. And here he gives us a little warning here. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, to Satan himself. In other words, Paul is telling us that harbored anger, anger that's not dealt with God's way, is the one thing that opens a door up in our lives opens a door into our relationships and basically hangs out a banner, a sign that says, come on in. Devil, you're welcome. Come into my life, come into my relationships, and just have your ground, have your way. And what is, de- what is Satan's mission in your life? Folks, you know, the devil has a purpose for you and for me. He has a mission. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 10, verse 10. Where he says, hey, the devil, he comes. He seeks to to kill and to steal and to destroy. And so Satan wants to destroy you and your relationship with God. He wants to destroy all your relationships with other people horizontally. And this is why we must make sure that we don't nurse our anger, but instead put it away before it destroys us in our relationships. But here's the problem. We're proud. And proud people don't see themselves as sinners. And proud people don't see their sin as sin. And don't see their anger as sin. And if you're proud, you may see yourself, more than likely you see yourself as by and large, hey, I'm a pretty good person, I'm a pretty good dad. Mom, 
And I, yeah, I get a little angry, but you know what? It's not that bad. It doesn't hurt that much. My kids get over it. But when you understand God's grace in the gospel, man, you begin to see yourself in light of the gospel. And you begin to see yourself as the worst person in the room. And you begin to see yourself as the worst sin in the world. And you know, man, I have sinned before God and before that other person. And you know that your anger is sinful and has hurt someone, family or whoever. And when you understand God's grace in the gospel, I mean, you are overwhelmed that God would now accept someone like you. So you humble yourself, and you repent, and you confess, and you trust in God's grace for the forgiveness that he offers to you through Jesus Christ. And you receive it. And you receive the forgiveness that is given to you gladly, with humility, with meekness, which brings us to the second part of the prescription, which is receive. It's not just repent, but we receive God's grace in the gospel. You see, faith involves receiving not once, get this, but every day the word which was already implanted in you the first time you repented and believed in Jesus for your salvation. And that word of truth in fact, that's what James calls it before verse 19, up in verse 18. He calls it this word of truth, and it's the message of the gospel. It's the truth of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that truth, that grace in the gospel, you know what it does? It saves us from our sin, right? Amen? Hallelujah? It saves us from our sin not only when we first become a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, but it saves us from our sin for our entire Christian lives, our whole journey as Christ followers, right? Amen? As you receive it with meekness, as you trust it for the forgiveness of your sin. So forgiveness for anger, it's available to us. Each and every day, if not moment by moment, through God's grace in the gospel. And God's grace provides us, folks, listen to me, with a whole lot more than just forgiveness. God's grace gives us hope. It gives us power to change no matter how angry I may be. That's the power of God's grace in the gospel that saved me the first time and continues to work on my life because it doesn't just want to leave me as is when I get saved, when I trust Jesus. It wants to bring me somewhere. It wants to grow me in my relationship with God. It wants my faith to become real. It wants me and my behavior to match Jesus Christ. And so there's a goal and there's a purpose there that my anger cannot produce, doesn't produce the righteousness of God. But God's grace produces the righteousness of God in my life, that I can begin to live like this, act like this. Woo, that's cool. Now, this morning, we've talked about anger. And we've talked about how anger can ruin relationships if we don't deal with it God's way. But did you know that the Bible is in many ways a story of anger. All of God's word 
from Genesis to Revelation? The anger of God and the anger of man. Perhaps you never thought of the Bible this way. Let me share it with you. It's about the holy, righteous anger of God, which is inflamed with zeal for His cause to save people, to redeem people through His Son, Jesus Christ. But it's also about our unholy, unrighteous anger, which is inflamed with zeal for our own cause, my desires, my demands, my rights. And as you see these two angers charging through the Bible, you know, man, they can't coexist. Something's got to give here. It's like they're, they're massive locomotives that are just kind of speeding down the same track on a collision course with each other. But the amazing thing is, is the juncture where they collide. And where do they collide at? The cross of Jesus Christ. And what we see at the cross is that the wrath of God is nailing Jesus to the cross as our substitute, as my substitute for the payment of my sin. And the wrath of men are doing exactly the same thing in their sin. But here's the good news. What we meant for evil, God meant it for good. Blow me away. While we were at our worst, God was at his best. Folks, that's the good news. Jesus bore the wrath of God and the anger of mankind so that on the other side of that collision, we now could be saved. We could be reconciled with God, our Father, through Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. But here's the question. Do you believe it? And have you received it? Have you believed it and received it by faith for the forgiveness of your sins as well as the power to change and live a life that's pleasing to God? Folks, get this. Because, because of our sin, do you realize God has every reason to be angry with us? Holy, righteous anger. And yet he wants to save us from our sins. That's why he sent his son to bear his wrath as our substitute on the cross. But we must believe it. We must receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And this grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ can save you. And once it's been implanted in your heart, it will start to change you. It's what gives you the power now to deal with your anger, that emotion that we're commanded to keep under control by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we thank you for the truth about anger in your word. And Father, we confess that we are, oh, we are guilty of sinful anger in our lives. And I think of the people who have anger in their hearts even now and have listened to this message and perhaps are even saying, and that was interesting, but they're not receiving your grace to change. Lord, we are up against something that only you can do. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, you would help us. You would open up our eyes and help us to trust your Holy Spirit to overcome the natural resistance that's in our hearts. And Father, we also pray for those who have never trusted Christ for their salvation. 
They've never believed on him and received him by faith as their Savior. May you open their eyes and help them to see their need for Jesus and that they would trust him in this moment. They would pray right where they're seating and express their heart's desire. In your son's name we pray, amen. As the praise team sings, they're just going to sing a course, course of invitation. I invite you to talk to God. You respond to him in light of what you have learned and in light of what the Holy Spirit is showing you about anger.